from Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. We know for a fact that our diplomats were injured. We know for a fact that somebody or something was attempting to hurt our diplomats. Cuba, the continuing mystery over sick U.S. diplomats. And one expert who's been studying the situation says the information he's gathered has given him an idea of where the attacks may have happened. It suggested to me that it is their residences that are being targeted by this sonic beam. We'll dig further into that and who might be behind it coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. Previously, in Episode 78 of Target USA, we began looking into the mysterious illness of U.S. diplomats based in Cuba. Nausea to exhaustion to headaches, hours-long migraines, and even hearing loss. A number of U.S. diplomats got sick recently in Cuba and had to be sent home. But they weren't naturally occurring illnesses. And the thought is that it could be coming, according to U.S. officials who are looking into this, from a type of acoustic device, almost at a frequency that humans can't hear. Steve Dorsey of CBS News broke the story. U.S. intelligence believes it was a hostile act perpetrated by a nation state. And Robert Booth, a top former State Department diplomatic security agent, has figured out what their objective was. To compromise the creation and transmission of classified information. If that's not it, then the other only possibility that comes to mind is this is actually directed against these officers to make them sick and make them go home. Since our last episode, we've learned some details about what might have happened. What you're hearing is the sound of what some embassy workers in Havana heard. That sound was acquired by the Associated Press, and they said that it had been turned over to the Navy for analysis. We reached out to the Navy to ask. They referred us to the State Department, saying it's their issue. The State Department responded, saying investigations into the attacks are ongoing, and we're not able to discuss details of the incidents while the investigation is pending. And as we update our story, there are several key issues that we need to address right up front. We've spoken with several sources, very good, very well-placed sources, about several key issues. First, the sound that you heard. It's been turned over to the Navy for analysis. All of the sources we spoke to, which are current and former U.S. diplomatic security officials, say the Navy is the best choice to analyze the sounds, like the one that's suspected of being used against the diplomats because the Navy has specific expertise with sonar and similar sounds. And having spent a little bit of time aboard a 
U.S. nuclear-powered L.A.-class submarine. I know that to be the case. Second issue, the Canadians. There were two apparently impacted by the sounds. Some have speculated it was an accident. But again, the sources that we spoke to say there is no confusion. The Canadian homes in Havana are distinctly different and set apart from the American diplomats' homes. And they have guards at each of their homes, whereas the Americans don't. So bottom line, according to one of those security sources who was in Cuba fairly recently, there was no way the Canadians were confused or mistaken for American diplomats. And another point passed on was that the American diplomatic vehicle tags are very different from the Canadian tags, so it wasn't as if someone confused the neighborhood. The idea here is that maybe there was a bit of plausible deniability at play when the Canadians were targeted. We don't know that for sure, but that's how some are speculating. And the third issue, the targeting of those allegedly impacted was very specific. In fact, according to a source, there were people who were impacted that were living in the same home with their family that were impacted in one room and the other occupants in other parts of the house were not impacted. Robert Booth is a retired special agent from the State Department's Bureau of Diplomatic Security, and we spoke to him in episode 78, and he talked in depth about what he thought was going on at that time regarding this situation. We spoke to him again a few days ago about the new information we learned regarding the targeting. It seems to me that when the State Department decided to allow family members, children and spouses to leave the island, it suggested to me that it is their residences that are being targeted by this sonic beam and maybe not the, um, the building itself. The residences start with that. Well, I think that whoever is directing this operation has made a decision that their indiscretions in conversations that may be occurring in the houses over dinners or whatever, in which they would hope to capture information about personalities in the embassy. It, it can't be helped that the family members may have gossip. They may talk about vulnerabilities. But at the same time, at an American ambassador, an American diplomat's home, they may invite members of other diplomatic missions for dinner. They may invite other guests, may have maybe even Cubans join them for dinner. And that the Cubans would certainly like to know that information because it's something they'd be able to act on. So just want to back up because of some technical difficulties we had. You were saying that you think that the residences are being possibly targeted. Would you tell us, tell us that piece again? Right. I think that when the State Department authorized departure for family members, spouses, and children, I think that was suggestive that the houses, the residences in which the diplomats were living in were being targeted and that they were at risk, so they had to be allowed to come back. How do you think they're being targeted? Have you had any more thought? Have you been able to figure out any more about what, what's being used to? If the beam is, is to work, I mean, it must be large enough to capture uh, conversations in, in large parts of the house, maybe not directed at a dining room or a bedroom, so that, in fact, the um, family members are being impacted by this um, sonic beam. I mean, I don't think whoever created the sonic beam, when they made it, and they were trying to find out whether it could intercept conversations or disrupt uh, electronic devices in the house. They didn't have a human being sitting at the other end who received this. And I think they were just as surprised 
to find out the ill effects that come from the use of this sonic beam. I don't believe that it was intentional for family members to be hurt. I think in our business, uh, spouses and children are, are pretty safe haven. To mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit more about this beam situation. Um, so what what you're alluding to is that the weapon is possibly a uh, an invisible beam that is directed at a location, and that beam has the capacity not just to carry uh, something on it, but to bring something back on it. Basically, it, it, it can be a carrier for information. There has always been suggestions that, that conversations uh, actually bounce off window panes and that they vibrate in a certain oscillation that can be picked up by microwaves. That we thought was maybe happening in Moscow. Maybe this is much more sophisticated in that this beam uh, allows the entity who's ever running it to capture conversations. On the other hand, if the the people running this machine believe we have things in our residences that is negative to them, they may be trying to disrupt them. Mm. So in other words, in, in addition to maybe using the beam as a listening device, maybe they're trying to use that beam to destroy something. Or ena- unable something, disable something, absolutely. Okay. Why do you arrive at that 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 understanding how do you get there after all my years i just cannot think of any other application for such a device um it just doesn't make any sense to me again looking at how the russians tried to use microwaves to disable or interrupt our our operations at the embassy in moscow this is the only thing it makes sense for it but otherwise you would say that they built this beam to make us sick and hurt family members. You're, you're kind of going down a very slippery slope there if that's actually what's happening. Do you have an idea of who you think is, is actually the, 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 the proprietor or the author of this beam or the, the, the owner of this beam? I just can't believe the Cubans would have spent the time and effort and money to make such an item like this. I have to believe it has to be one of their guardians, and and the first people on my list would certainly be Moscow. And it certainly would match up with their history, the Russians' history. The the Russians have been attempting to disrupt and intercept our conversations just like we have, uh, and that's a game we both play, uh, and they've been successful against us, we've been successful against them, but in my history, um, none of the operations involve the harming of the, the <clears throat> diplomats themselves or their family members. What do you make of this? The U.S. government this week, this being the 6th of October, 2017, kicked out 15 Cuban diplomats saying we have not determined that the Cuban government is the perpetrator of this activity. But they can, and they also say that they haven't figured out who or what is responsible for it, but they kick out 15 Cuban diplomats. What do you think the reason for that is if the Cubans aren't the culpable one? I think what they're trying to say is that if the Cubans did not do it, they know who did it or they enabled them to do it. We just can't believe that the state of their internal security 
would allow something like this to exist without the Cuban government knowing about it or certain elements of the Cuban government knowing about it. And this is a strong message to say, until we get this resolved, um, you're going to suffer consequences for your bad action, for your bad behavior. Now, tell me what you're really thinking about all of this. I've asked you my questions, but what, what are you thinking about that I haven't asked you about that you think is important? Remember that U.S. diplomats go in harm's way overseas. I mean, we're talking about a sonic beam here, but uh, American diplomats in Cuba have suffered physical harassment over the years, and that this is something that's not well described. I mean, a lot of, a lot of Americans do not recall the microwaving of our embassy in, in Moscow years ago, and that um, I am just as hopeful as anybody that we can come to the grips and understanding what went on and that it stops um, subjecting diplomats and their families to this kind of disruption. It's just simply not good. Robert Booth, retired special agent from the State Department Diplomatic Security Bureau, who has deep knowledge about the activities of Russian agents and their capabilities when it comes to sonic weapons. He talked about the risk that diplomats take when they go overseas. And when we come back... When we were in Ethiopia, there was an Italian uh, diplomatic couple, or maybe with an NGO who were there, who's, uh, who were involved in a car accident with their 12-year-old son, and they literally bled to death on the highway um, in front of their son. We'll hear from retired Ambassador Deborah Jones when we continue on Target USA. The National Security Podcast. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. As we continue to look into what happened to the U.S. diplomats in Cuba, it's important to note that U.S. diplomats and diplomats from all over the world face a lot of risk and challenges overseas while serving their countries. Deborah Jones, a retired U.S. ambassador who served in Libya, Ethiopia, and other places around the world, joined us to talk about her thoughts about what happened in Cuba and her own challenges that she faced while serving. First of all, Ambassador, when you think of what's going on in Cuba, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Um, the first thing that occurred to me was the question I always ask myself when something like this happens, qui um, bono, who benefits from that kind of an attack or that kind of an episode? First of all, let me say I'm not sure we know enough about it. Yes, still, the research is still going on. Where Where might all these people have been in the same area, what might they have been exposed to, um, why would they have been in the same area, how could they have been targeted. But when I look at any kind of motivation um, and I say to myself, who might have benefited from that, frankly, my suspicions take me outside of Cuba uh, to other uh, countries which might have hostile missions within Cuba or might have an interest in spiking um, the relationship between Cuba and the United States. And, of course, that obviously, you know, points some fingers, fingers to folks who've been intrusive and hostile in the past in our relationships. Um, so, again, I'm not in a position to make that determination because, again, I, I know, frankly, what I've read in the papers. Mm -hmm. um, but as a, you know, with someone who's served in these places, I would say, wow, who, who benefits from that? So who, who would, yeah. So, so as you say, um, you know, there's doubt about the Cubans actually being behind this, and it may definitely point, a po well, at least possibly point a finger at 
some other actors who may have more to gain from uh, engaging in this kind of behavior. And there aren't a lot of people, based on what I've heard and many of us have heard about the tactic that was used or is being used, there aren't a lot of countries and organizations that have the skill set to do that. One of the countries that does is Russia. And I don't know if you're comfortable engaging on this process or this 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 topic or not. But one thing we know is that the Russians have done things like this in the past. When you look at places like Moscow in the 80s, when U.S. diplomats were ill. Um, and so, you know, there is a lot to that whole concept of it being a third party and possibly being Russia. Well, I, I, again, I have to say I don't have the background, but certainly you're right in, in saying you have to look at who has the capability, who has the motive. It's just like any crime scene. Um, you know, and, and when you look at that and say motive, capability, uh, past, <laughs> you know, pattern, um, then you're right. Then you have to point to someone like Russia or someone else who would have an active interest in in souring our relationship with Cuba, creating a kind of a rift there as well. But again, who that is, uh, again, I, I mean, people with more information and knowledge mm-hmm. uh, like yourself would, would have to make that determination. I have never served in Russia, in Moscow. I've traveled. I'm certainly aware of some of the problems that we've had there in the past. Um, I just don't have enough to say, but I, I would say that my instinct would lead me probably in that direction. But again, I would leave it to experts you yeah. know, to say, I don't want to intrude on that. So let's get to what you really are, a, a very, um, uh, a very uh, well-decorated expert in, and that is being a diplomat overseas and all of the risk and reward that comes with that. Serving this nation overseas is a tremendous honor, but it also makes you a tremendous target, too, in many situations. Is that correct? <laughs> You're right. I mean, it is, you know, we do think uh, serving the U.S., uh, the American people as a representative overseas, it's the best work in the world. Uh, make no doubt about that, and I think that's why you'll always have people ready to, to do it, because the service is, um, you know, it's just a fabulous opportunity, and you learn something every day. Um, and, of course, there are hazards that go with the job, and they go from the, the very mundane to the rather dramatic. Um, you know, at the post that I've served at in, in Africa and in the Middle East and Latin America, um, obviously, and not surprisingly, probably the number one hazard that people suffer from is that is automobile risk of some kind of automobile accident, to be honest. And and in places that lack the kind of emergency infrastructure that can deal with it. You know, for example, when we were in Ethiopia, there was an Italian uh, diplomatic couple, or maybe with an NGO who were there, who's, uh, who were involved in a car accident with a 12-year-old son, and they literally bled to death on the highway um, in front of their son, you know, because there was no emergency uh, there were no emergency facilities, and even if there had been, you know, we had to have a walking blood bank at the embassy because the blood was contaminated. It was high evidence, high chance of HIV uh, infection if you took, you know, blood that that you were had not, uh, you know, created your own blood bank for. So, and that was 1992 to 94. So there are things like that. There have been obviously there are missiles. You know, if you're in a war zone, um, that you have the macro threats and. Um, serving in places like Libya, you obviously have there's the personal threat. I mean, if you're the if you're the ambassador, you're going to be targeted. 
Um, and, and, you know, and in our case, we actually ended up withdrawing because of RPG, you know, fire and attacks and when, when militias were fighting um, in the vicinity of the embassy. So we weren't really, as I tell people, we were not the subject of the fighting, but we quickly became the object of the fighting simply because of the trajectory of the of the weapons that were being used. And so we had to time it, you know, until there was a lull in the fighting, thank heavens due to Ramadan, um, and the time when they were going to eat. And we timed our uh, withdrawal from the from the compound in our armored vehicles um, that way. And let me say that the State Department, you know, are poor, uh, and I say poor because there's so many threats and, and different kinds of threats that our poor regional security officers and, and the Office of Diplomatic Security really does have to handle the gamut um, from, you know, robbery, intrusion, rape, et cetera, in some countries where there's huge crime, um, political abductions in other places, um, you know, and, and then to the ultimate, which is, again, outright open conflict um, that may be politically motivated or otherwise in the vicinity of our, of our mission. Um, on the other hand, too, there's the, 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 the hazards are of diseases. Um, amoebas, um, food control, because or absence, the kind of the the controls on on food preparation or products. You know, when people are living in societies, um, you also have facilities maintenance issues, and we try our best in our compounds, certainly, but in in areas where we live. But people live on the market, so for example. Uh, Maintenance of gas facilities. I mean, we've had real tragedies involving uh, gas ruptures and gas lines, even in places like Russia and elsewhere, or fires, fire hazards, um, where, again, uh, people's apartment buildings or places, you know, we work hard on this uh, to make sure that we have, we manage the oversight, you know, or we oversee the installation of appliances or, or how the safety features are and train people within the mission. But that's always a risk. Um, the other thing is, frankly, um, pesticides. Even we had tragedy in uh, in Moscow, in uh, Egypt, at one point because they were using pesticides that were not approved by the United States. Um, you know, or would not have been approved here, but were common usage um, in those places. So it it does run the gamut from, as I say, uh, things that we take for granted here. Um, to all-out conflict, you know, and, and yeah. so it's a kind of a, you know, a multiple juggling act to make sure your mission is safe. So you as an ambassador, um, how, how did you approach or how does an ambassador uh, approach the safety of herself and her team? What do you do? How do you, how do you, how do you go about ensuring that everybody is Safe. What's the process? Sure. Well, uh, of course, it all depends on the context and what the threat assessment is for your mission, depending on where you are. So, as I say, um, you know, living in, in Buenos Aires is very different from living in Addis Ababa, is very different from living in, you know, Tripoli, Libya. Um, so, you know, I mean, you, you assess the, the you work closely with your security officer, but you also assess with a new set of eyes what your mission setup looks like. And, for example, I'll give you, a, you know, in, in uh, Tripoli, we had a situation where we were on a compound that we were expanding and building. This is after we'd lost, you know, two different facilities. I mean, the mission during the, 
during the revolution had been, you know, burned out the embassy, and then they we moved operations, or this was prior to my arrival, to the former ambassador's residence, and then following the tragedy in Benghazi, had kind of moved everyone onto one compound so that we were actually working out of the um, ambassador's residence, the new, the latest one, but had been Chris Stevens' residence for a couple of months on the compound and everyone in their houses. But one of the things that we had was uh, we had to sump out, you know, we had septic tanks that had to be sumped out every week. And, and of course, the more you bring on security guards, right, for the mission, and you have all these men, because we had 87 combat Marines who were then assigned following Benghazi uh, for perimeter security and protection. But then that means that you have other requirements in the mission for your health and safety, phytosanitary situation and everything else bringing in a, a truck, a giant truck that would have to clean out the septic tanks, right, so that you're not swimming in, in sewage. And so that then presents another issue because then what if someone comes in with a truck bomb? You know, how do you control those things? So then you have to order your own truck. I mean, there are all kinds of aspects and elements to this. It's like every time you turn around, you see another vulnerability for the mission. You know, so you do review that with your security officer who has, access to the vehicles, who changes the flat tires on the vehicles, who does the service of the vehicles, especially if people are using gelatina bombs. Um, you know, you you pay attention all the time. Who has, I mean, there's the classic access issues to the mission and checking vehicles that come in, but then you have always some other aspect, some other element that makes you vulnerable to penetration. I mean, uh, beyond vetting your employees also, which is another issue, um, making sure that your food supply is, you know, is clean and clear that no one has access to it that can do something nefarious, um, making sure you have good visuals around you. And then, of course, there we had a particular situation where we actually had overhead surveillance, and when we traveled off, I mean, it was very elaborate and with a lot of, a lot of physical protection. But again, you know, as always is the case, um, everything you do, Every wall can be breached, right? Every time you build a wall, someone's going to come up with a with something to to get over it. And um, so it's really a matter. Of, you know, the best the best thing you do for security is just make sure you're aware of your environment and where the threat lies, where it comes from, and um, you know, trying to to make sure you're a step ahead of that game. So, um, and I would say the same for people who are in high threat in high crime posts and those kinds of places. You know, you, you can always, you know, you avoid neighborhoods, you do this and that. But you, but in all these places, it, it starts from the basics of where people are living, making sure that they're not vulnerable to, you know, uh, to some kind of physical breakdown, gas, fire, um, insecticide, whatever, to the macro, which is making sure they're not going to be bombed or, or assassinated. Yeah. So, you know, you talk about a, a range of, of issues and problems, and uh, one thing I would like to get to the, the heart of before we run out of time today is, yeah. you know, the era that we live in, um, you know, you talked about a lot of different ways in which uh, diplomats can be targeted and attacked. Um, so uh, what about the era we live in now where they're high-tech uh, sure. Capabilities. Well, cyber. I mean, let let's be honest on that too. Uh, and it's not only cyber of of the type. You know, I don't. I don't. Uh, again, th- this episode in Cuba, I think, has uh, revisited another area. You know, of concern um, that sounds a little bit 
you know, Star Trekky, but obviously it's here. And I would also say cyber attacks of, of false, you know, false information, false flag, you know, feeding people, uh, surveilling people, getting into people's systems uh, to make them vulnerable to blackmail or extortion. Obviously, those are important things as well. And we've seen that not only to ourselves, done by other people as well, or uh, you know, from other countries, but but garbling information or making people think um, that they're you know they should head in one direction when in fact um, the goal is to get them to head in the other to to entrap or something. I mean, and I'm talking not only in in literal terms but in in figurative terms as well. Yeah. A couple more things. What is your suggestion? For those in the diplomatic community today, knowing what took place in Cuba and what's taken place in other places around the world that have simply left Americans in perhaps some of the most vulnerable positions than they've been in in, 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 in many years, uh, what's your advice, suggestion for them? Well, look, you know, I don't mean to... Uh, people have always taken risks to serve, and, you know... 100 years ago, it was disease. It was yellow fever. I mean, if you go and look at the the uh, walls, the names in the State Department of people who have given their lives in the service of their country, um, there are many of them who died of typhoid or who served in places where, where there was disease or there was, you know, something else that caused their demise. And and yet, the, the, the desire to serve is still there. So, you know, we have never had to compel someone um, to be assigned to places uh, that are uh, we call critical threat posts. Um, I think there will always be people who are prepared to take the risk to serve because that has always been the case. Um, and so, uh, you know, my advice to people is, you know, go in obviously with your eyes open, but the fact is, um, you know, people will serve. People will, because it's important that they serve. Um, they will probably, what I would probably say to them is, um, you know, just make sure that, that you've made arrangements, I mean, that you that you have a plan B in place for your family and other things, but people will serve um, because they always have and they will. That's retired Ambassador Deborah Jones talking about the risks that diplomats take, specifically U.S. diplomats take, when they serve abroad. That story is not going away. The situation in Cuba is not going away. We will revisit it, and you will be hearing from her again. But in the meantime, coming up next time, Ambassador Jones talked about how manipulation of information and cyber actors can be a problem for diplomats and the nation. And on our next program, an exclusive interview with Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein. I think what people need to keep in mind is that there's a distinction between uh, people trying to sway American elections and, and succeeding in swaying American elections. Uh, I think one of our responsibilities is to make sure that people understand you know, what the risks are, but also that they make their own determinations. You know, American citizens are pretty savvy, and when they decide who to vote for, I don't think they can be influenced by ads posted by foreign governments. I think people are, uh, are more thoughtful about that in the way that they make their decisions. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, if we have foreign countries that are seeking to interfere in our elections, I think we need to take appropriate actions in response. You heard him talking about this during our series, Anatomy of a Russian Attack. Coming up in our next episode, the full interview with Rod Rosenstein, Deputy Attorney General at the Department of Justice. And he talks about leaks. He talks about China. He talks about terrorism. 
coming up on Target USA. Thank you for checking in with us. Follow us on Twitter at TUSA Podcast. That's Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. You can also let me know what you think at jgreen at WTOP.com. That's the letter J, the color green, one word, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa. jgreen at WTOP.com. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. The Serial Killer Podcast, hosted by me, Thomas Weiberg Thune, is the podcast dedicated to serial killers, who they were, what they did, and how. Join me as I sit down bi-weekly to bring you, dear listener, into the dark land of serial murder and psychopathy. The show goes into graphic detail on the most infamous and lesser-known serial killers from around the world, with each episode covering one unique serial killer. So far, the show has covered serial killer superstars, such as BTK, Jeffrey Dahmer and the Yorkshire Ripper, and lesser-known killers, such as Elias Abuelazan and Anatoly Onoprienko. Be advised, this show is not for children as it takes you deep into the twisted world of ultimate evil. You can find me exclusively at podcastone.com or on the new Podcast One app. Also, don't forget to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.